Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 68. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Dean Granham. Uh, Dr. Gray is uh, taking a break today. That's quite all right. We're all here. We're hoping everything is okay with him. But with me today is also uh, Dr. Scott Wright. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Verenia? I'm doing good. Yeah. Getting good. getting the hang of this. Nice. Kind of nice. running the show. Excellent. Yeah, You're the captain good. now, as you say. I yeah. am the captain now. <laughs> always good to be here for Ask the Dean. Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. And the lovely Rachel Grubbs is also here with us. That's me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here. We had big MCAT news yesterday, so... Yes. Good, good to have these weekly sessions to answer yep. questions and check in on current events. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Sounds good. So why don't you why don't you tell us what the big news was yesterday in case so, people haven't heard it yet? Yeah, I'll put myself on spotlight there. Yeah, so uh, if you didn't catch the news, the WMC released 2022 MCAT dates. Now, that's pretty normal. They've been doing it in mid-September for the last few years. Um, and a lot of things are the same. So um, test dates are January. There's a couple dates in January, nothing in February. And then somewhere in the neighborhood of two to four or five every month um, after that. So March, April, May, June, July, August, September. So it's January and then March to September. That's the same as always. Something they improved on last year that they're keeping with is a two-day registration process. So go check the WMC to get the exact details. But um, registration for the winter spring MCATs opens on October 13th and 14th. And your day of those two depends on your location. So it's not like students who want the same test centers are going to get it ahead of you. It's it's not where you are. It's where your test center is. Um, so, I mean, again, look at the country because it's east-west, but east meaning like more like eastern time zone than the eastern mm -hmm. half of the U.S. So go, go check the WMC for specifics. They've got a map. Um, but it, you'll register either on October 13th or 14th, depending on your desired test date. Um, what I actually hadn't noticed, but our friend Rachel, the artsy med noticed, is uh, fees are going up. And even though as far as we can tell, the pandemic's still happening, they seem to be getting rid of any grace periods for rescheduling and cancellations. So there had been some laxness on that for the last year. And at least as of now, in 2022, there's no indication they're going to have that. Now, can they change their minds if things are still really bad come winter, spring? Yes, of course they can. But it looks like they're trying to make sure that when you sign up, you pick the date you really want and that you keep it. Um, so, so yeah, that's what's happening. And Rachel, I, I saw some comments yesterday, uh, students mentioning that it looked like there may have been less dates. Does that seem like that to you as well? It, it seems normal standard to me. To me. Oh, yeah. sorry. There's usually about 20. Okay. Um, 
So yeah, that, that was normal. Um, I think it can be unnerving sometimes when people see the whole year and see how few dates there are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, that's a thing that always happens that test dates seem to be at a premium as though there's sort of more, more demand than supply. Um, it does tend to work out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think especially at the start of the year when people are anxious to have a date. Um, so if you're a MAPT member, I already sent a feedback alert to you about this. Um, but for folks who are not you know, within MAPT and getting those, those updates that I send out to the members, um, one of the things that we've seen in, in many years past, like for the last seven or eight years, is that frequently in really big cities like New York and L.A., on the day registration opens, the entire January and March set of dates sell out. So um, that that's a bummer, especially for people who work and maybe aren't able to sit by their computers at 12 noon Eastern and sign up the second it opens. Um, but it is good that we have a month's notice. Um, it is good that we actually know when it's going to open. The WMC in past years used to just say sometime on this date. Mm-hmm. Now they're committing to. It opens around 12 noon Eastern. Um, and, you know, what that does mean is if you can plan ahead to be by your computer and sign up right then, that is actually the best way to go. Um, but the good news is if you don't get a seat that first day, a lot of times as you get closer to MCAT dates, people who had seats don't feel ready mm-hmm. and they cancel or reschedule. So I do advise people try to book a seat early, but also not feel like their role has ended if they have to play the waiting game. Right. Mm-hmm. Good. Cool. Uh, We've got some questions. I can put some up here. Sure. Excellent. We'll get started. David James would like to know, uh, I have an upcoming virtual interview that includes a group component. Do you have any advice for how to approach a virtual group interview? So this is more common now with uh, COVID and having, you know, to, to resort to virtual interviews. Um, I don't have as much experience with the group interview setting other than my own personal experience. Um, obviously, this is, you know, still sort of new. Um, but Dr. Wright, do you have any recommendations? You know, I think it's uh, fairly new uh, to me as well, and I don't really have any, hmm. you know, uh, pointed recommendations. My my feeling is that the the purpose of a group interview is to see how you interact with others and how how you know so my, my my feeling is you don't want to be you want to you want to be a team player in these group interviews you don't want to come across as trying to steal time from other applicants or trying to or you don't want to be a wallflower either and just sit there passively so i think it's a balancing act always be yourself uh and answer answer honestly uh as to you know, whatever the question is. Now, I think it depends a little bit on if they have pointed questions for mm-hmm. each of the people in the group as opposed to a general question to everyone in the group. I, I you know, I, I'm not yeah. clear on how that works. And so, uh, so unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of uh, advice for, for students on, in these group interviews. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine that the uh, interviewers will probably sort of outline the rules of the day. Um, make sure yeah. you're paying attention to that. Um, maybe they'll set you up in a breakout room. Um, but as Dr. Wright was just saying, you want to um, 
pay attention to what's being asked, be a team player. You don't want to sort of try to outshine everyone else. Right. Um, but but just definitely, uh, I imagine that they will sort of give you rules of, of the day yeah. uh, when that day comes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. I think um, one of the weirdest things that we all have to get used to as we get more and more comfortable with, you know, Zoom and WebEx and various virtual meetings is the lag. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm saying this because I'm still working on it. And I've been doing this for years. Uh, sometimes there's this tendency to think like, there's a silence, I need to fill it. And actually, <laughs> your conversation partner's already talking and there's a moment mm-hmm. or two, you know, even a half second can make a difference before that yep. voice comes across the line. Mm-hmm. So I do think some of it is getting comfortable with letting those pauses hang. Um, you know, a little a little talking over each other can happen, but as soon as you realize it, somebody's got to stop. Right. right. So just right. not like you guys are saying, you know, be a team player, but also just think through the logistics because you might think you're being a team player and you're just letting the timing of the tech get in your way. Right. Um, yeah, I guess I would say one thing is if you're not if you're not at all comfortable, I mean, I think by now we all know how to use Zoom. But if there's anyone who's going, well, I don't know how to use Zoom reactions. I don't know how to raise my hand on Zoom. Like mm-hmm. now is the time to get in there and play with that stuff. Yep. Make sure you're hyper fluent in it. Mm-hmm. So that you, um, and again, I'm saying Zoom, but what I mean by hyperfluent is you can use any system and just learn to check settings, right? Like just get comfortable mm-hmm. with clicking until you find stuff, right? <laughs> you know, right? Great. All right. Let's see. Dan, Dan would like to know. Uh, I applied to 30 MD schools. All 30 secondaries submitted by 8:15. I also want to apply Dio, but I'm burned out from writing so much for the uh, for the past few months. Can I still submit a Comus in January? What do you think, Doctor Wright? I I would not recommend that. Um, that's very late. Mm-hmm. Even though Dio schools have a little bit of a shift in terms of their timeline, the shift is not that big. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would be concerned about. I, I would say. You know, take a take a month off, or, or you've had a month uh, since uh, since um, August fifteenth, and get on it. Yeah, I understand. I understand being you know kind of tuckered out and uh, needing to have some time, but you've had a month, so it's time to get on with things. Yeah, I agree. Thank yeah. You. Well, that or decide you're not not going to apply DO, right? Yeah. Right. right. I mean, 30, oh. 30 MD schools is a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. All right. Big Big Bad Bear would like to know what are some examples of schools that are more research focused. Some examples of schools. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of want to say, like, with, with love, Big Bad Bear, there's this thing called Google. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, Hopkins, right? Most right, right. All the research. Right. research focused. But All the big not, research. I'm not really sure what the crux of this question is. Like, uh, what, do you, what are you looking for by knowing examples? Like, there's got to be something deeper going here other than what you could Google. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that. And and MSAR, you know, MSAR will give you some mm-hmm. help on that as well. So if you ha- if you don't have a subscription to the to the AMCAS uh MSAR, uh I think you should, you know, definitely take out a subscription to that. It can be very helpful. 
I am a family nurse practitioner with a doctorate degree, as well as a tenured faculty at a university. I want to play up my strengths, but I'm apprehensive that I might get overlooked. Uh, hmm. not, not quite sure. Yeah, why would you question, get overlooked? Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's no question here, number one. So I don't know um, what. You know, I definitely think you play up your strengths, but I, I'm I'm unsure about the. Um, oh, I see. She, there's a there's an update. There might be yeah. another yeah another yeah. part to the question. Uh, might I get overlooked for already investing so much in another career? Okay, so that no, clarifies things. I don't I don't think so. I don't think you got to worry about that. Whoever you are, S. Um, I think you uh, I think you got to keep uh, you know you know. Ring your bell, you know, and uh, talk about your strengths mm -hmm. and uh, and don't worry about, you know, I mean, it, there's nothing that you, that you can do. You have invested in another mm -hmm. career. You have, you, you know, you have gone along this pathway, but you've decided for whatever reason that you want to shift and go to medical school. And so, you know, there's really no... You know, so if a school does overlook you for that reason, you can't control that. Right. So you have to just do what you can do. If you don't apply, you're not going to get in. So you got to apply uh, to the medical schools that you're interested in. But in general, I would say I think your concern is is not uh, warranted. Right. And you want to just sort of highlight your motivations for changing careers that, yeah. you know, that's going to be a big question, I'm sure. Um, and so you want to play on your strengths and also just really focus on, well, what, what is now, you know, what is making you now want to decide to change? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Kendra is asking, science GPA is a 3.17, first year is 2.69, second year 2.39, third year 3.12, fourth 3.28, and post back 4.0. One class, but taking two now and three in spring. <laughs> If I get all A's, will my science GPA trend be enough to apply in May? I don't well, know. Hmm. I don't know if this person is a mapped user, but I can tell you that our mapped app software can has cal uh, calculators that can sort of help you figure out your GPA. Um, but I'm sorry, Doctor, you were about to say. No, something. I was just going to say that you know I think that. Um, if you do well in the classes in this in uh, that you're taking now and you do well with the three that you're taking in the spring uh, I think that's a good sign uh, that's that's what a post back program you know is mm -hmm. meant to do is to help you sort of establish a new record that says I can do this at a high level um, and you want uh, what you what you what you're really not establishing is a is I mean, you've, you've got a little bit of a trend going in your undergraduate uh, between the uh, first two years and the second two years. Uh, so th that helps a little bit. What you're looking for is a, is a, a much bigger jump mm -hmm. uh, in the post-bac program uh, to, you know, higher three point whatever, three, you know, seven, eight, nine and or 4.0 because you have to establish that you can do the work which the undergraduate mm -hmm. record doesn't necessarily do and so but assuming all of that 
so which what's the question is assuming all of that if i get all a's and not even if you get all a's let's say you make a b in one of the classes i would say yeah you can move forward and and uh and apply in may sure okay Hello, I'm currently an environmental engineer working full-time for a utility company. I have been thinking to quit my job to complete three to four more classes and focus on studying for MCAT. Should I do that? Well, Dee, um, it's really something you have to consider. It's your, you know, your financial situation. Can you afford to quit your job? Um, these are all things to take into consideration. Um, I normally would advocate for a student to not lose their income if that's, you know, your, your main source of income. Uh, I would say, you know, maybe work with your employer to see if you can maybe do some reduced hours, um, maybe part-time work. Uh, however, if you are in a position where you can uh, go ahead and, and devote full-time to studying for, M you know, your MCAT and completing courses for that, then, then sure. Um, but, but, most of the times, you know, if your employer is sort of supportive of this, they, they may be willing to uh, work with you. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think it's, you know, it's it's um, it, it's all about the other things outside mm -hmm. of the academic part, like you said, Vernia, that uh, where people want to, uh, uh, which, you know, if you're in the position to quit your job, mm -hmm. I mean, lucky you, that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people aren't in that kind of position. So I think definitely I would say go for it if that's if that's possible for you. OK, Osvaldo would like to know any tips on how to form strong relationships with college professors, since most of my college undergrad has been online due to covid. All of this is regarding letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a good question. Um, it's hard now, right, with, with this virtual environment. Um, but you can certainly stay in touch with them by email. You can attend, you know, office hours or maybe just reach out to them personally and say, hey, do you have time to set up a Zoom? I am a pre-med student or a pre-health student. I'm looking to apply. Uh, I'd like to get to know you more. Um, I'm pretty sure they'd be willing to do something like that. Um, but you do you do have to um, kind of make a little bit more of an effort than, you know, if you were physically able to just pop by their office or something like that. Um, but, but you know, if a professor is willing to, they'll, they'll do so. If they can't, for whatever reason, for the time limitations, then, you know, maybe try with a different professor. Yeah, I agree mm -hmm. completely. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay, so Sarah would like to know, hi, I recently got a medical assistant job that's about 50% administrative and 50% clinical in nature. How would I go about categorizing this in the activity section? A good, good question. question. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this has come up before, and what we tend to recommend is if you if you really feel like that job is a mix, um, and it, it sounds like what you said is 50% administrative, 50% clinical, then you can take your hours and just divide them in your in your tracker. So whether you're mm -hmm. doing it in mapped or you're actually on the application, just you know, let's say you work a thousand hours in a year, you can just list. 500 as paid employment 
clinical and then 500 is paid employment non-clinical um that that's perfectly fine um and i i love that you're conscientious enough to ask what i will point out and again it's it's going to be your kind of own own judgment on whether or not this applies is um most clinical jobs don't have a hundred percent clinical time so Mm -hmm. like to use an extreme example if you're an emt or a paramedic everybody understands that EMTs are helping patients sometimes and then sometimes in the van waiting. And you can still call that clinic, right? But but if you're really saying it's not like there are downtimes between patients, but like if you look at my job description, there are things that I am definitely supposed to be doing instead of helping patients, then yeah, I think um, dividing it and just not double dipping. But it sounds like by you asking the question, you already get it, right? You're not trying to double count your hours. You're just going to categorize your hours in two sections. Yeah, yeah, yep. I agree with that. All right, now by doing that, I lost my place. Please stand by. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe, this is uh, Zoe Kras. Would it be looked down upon to take classes post graduation at a community college rather than a university? The cost per credit is much more for affordable at my local community college. Yeah, so this is a question that comes up very often. Um, mm. You know, will it be looked differently? Yes, potentially, right? We, we can't really control how medical schools are going to look at it. Um, but it will be viewed as, you know, you've completed your degree. Um, you know, cost is obviously a factor. I guess it also depends on the course, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I would also say that I think it, it, it depends a little bit on why, you're going right. why you're taking classes post-graduation if it's to it's because your gpa is lagging and you're need, and you're wanting more classes to show you that you can do the work then i would say absolutely not mm-hmm. do not go backwards to the community college because they're only going to have uh, uh freshman and sophomore level classes they're not going to have upper level uh science classes that you really should be taking as a post back uh so my my reaction to this is a negative uh, because uh, of various factors that I've just described. And so uh, without knowing more about your story, Zoe, I, I think it's a little bit difficult to give you know, too, too much advice. But I, I, it sounds like, no, I don't, I don't recommend that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Sorry, Zoe. Yeah, I'm sorry. Unfair reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is from Howard. Hi, I'm a third year planning to graduate this year. I plan on doing two gap years before applying. I'm contemplating before research and finding a clinical job. What would you re- what would you recommend for gap years? So I guess he's trying to decide between whether doing research and finding a clinical job. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it depends on what you're interested in, number one, and what your back, what your past background has been in terms of those activities. Uh, if you have a lot of clinical experience and you're interested in research, maybe you could do that. If you do, if you have some research but not a whole lot of clinical hours, then maybe you need to do the clinical part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it also depends on what the availability of these two things might be in your area, location, or if you're willing to uh, move to a different 
location mm-hmm. to make that happen. Uh, it depends on that. You know, you're not going to find that e- whether you're doing research or clinic a clinical job such as an MA, you're not going. You know, the pay is not going to be great. And so you gotta, you gotta, you know. I, I don't know that the pay differential is going to be that much between the two. Uh, so I, I don't know that the financial part of it is is going to be much of it. Although it could be, I, you know, I don't know for sure. But um, so I would say, look at your past and see where there are holes or where there is are areas for growth, and let that direct you a little bit as well as your own interests. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think they actually wanted some more suggestions for gap years. Now that I'm looking at the question a little bit more closely, um, um, you know, as Dr. Wright was saying, you know, whatever fits best for your particular situation. Um, but, you know, if you can also fit in any sort of activity where you're volunteering or helping out in your community, of course, um, that's always very, very valuable uh, for your own growth and of course for the organization that you're helping out um, but as always don't approach it as just oh how you know is this going to look good on my application how is this going to look really you want right. to do it because of the value that you're going to to bring to that position and and the value you will get out of it as well absolutely and if you if you're planning on two years uh, of ga- mm-hmm. uh, two gap years t- together, then you also might want to look at the Peace Corps and AmeriCorps mm-hmm. as options. Those are typically two-year programs, uh, although they don't have to be, especially AmeriCorps. But um, you could, you know, look at those as options of things that you could do that you might be interested in. AmeriCorps, you know, mm-hmm. for example, teaching in a in a uh, inner city um, high school or middle school. Uh, Peace Corps, of course, being overseas, but uh, um, so I think those would be uh, another two options that you might think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Christian would like to know, what advice do you have if I receive two sub 500 MCAT scores in a row? Should I continue this app cycle or try again next year? Mm. Well, that's tough, Christian. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, so, a couple things. Uh, there's not a cut and dry answer here. There rarely is. I mean, my gut is this is not going to be a great cycle for you. But what I don't know is what your time and resources are like. What I don't know is how far along you are. You know, mm-hmm. did you already submit all your primaries and secondaries, in which case, like, you've done the work. You might as well see how it plays out. Um if it's September and you're still working on your primary and you have these two sub upcat mm-hmm. scores in a row, then yeah, I'm going to be more inclined to say just you got to give up this year and start again. Um, so in terms of whether or not you continue this app cycle, some of it's just going to depend on how deep you are in terms of the work and the money spent um, uh, and what your resources are like for that. Um, mm-hmm. Have people gotten into med school with sub MCAT scores? Yeah. Um, it, it happens sometimes. Um, they usually have stellar grades and stellar clinical and a stellar story. And I don't know if those things apply to you or not. Mm-hmm. Um, specific to the MCAT, I think you need to pause and reflect, right? If you are going to apply again, then something didn't change or changed but didn't help between the first and the second attempt, right? So now you need to really pause and ask yourself, Uh, How much time am I giving to the MCAT? Have I changed my study skills from what worked in college to what the MCAT requires? Because it's a very different kind of studying. Um, 
it, you know, did I make a schedule and not keep to it? Or did I not even make a schedule? Did I make a schedule and it expected me to come home and want to study every day after a 12 hour shift at the hospital? Or did I make one that was reasonable that I could keep to? So only, you know, you don't have to answer these questions for us, but you need to really, really reflect on what you've been doing for the MCAT so that you can think about what you're going to do differently to make it work for the, mm-hmm. make sure that third time is the last time. Mm-hmm. And you also don't know, we, I mean, Christian, um, I, I understand uh, your sort of reticence to uh, be too specific on on your MCAT scores, complete, you know exactly what they were. But you say five, sub five hundred. It 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 sort of occurs to me that our advice would change a little bit if the if the if the score was four ninety nine versus a score of four eighty eight. Mm, um, right. You know, so how sub it is uh, could affect, you know, kind of how medical schools are going to deal with you. And but uh, I, I completely agree with with Rachel, depending on what where you are in this process, if you've already applied. Yeah, keep, you know, don't withdraw your application. Just see how it goes and, 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 mm-hmm. and, and move forward with it. If you haven't submitted yet. Yeah, I think I think uh, this I agree that this isn't going to go well. So I would say wait for another year. Very solid advice. Okay. Um, From Charisse, I guess. Um, What do you think of health informatics as a gap year job? This is my current job. It pays well, but I'm worried it may not be the best use of my time in terms of building up my resume application. Health informatics. So, Mm. um, the behind the scenes of medicine, right? Right, Um, right. Making sure everything is running smoothly in terms of, uh, you know, technology and software and and where all of our personal medical records are stored. Um, So very good insight into that aspect of medicine. Um, It's your job. It is a good job. Um, I think that as long as you maybe supplement that with some some other experiences whenever possible. Um, Again, this is similar to the previous question. I I never advocate for, you know, quitting your job. Uh, It's your source of income. Try to work within it, um, within your time constraints. Um, So I don't see it as it not being the best use of your time. Um, Having said that, and and Dr. Wright, you can feel free to jump in if, if you can afford to, you know, take on a more clinical job, then, then go for it. Um, but I think you can gain very valuable experience continuing to do this type of work. Oh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think health informatics is such a burgeoning field. Mm-hmm. It's growing. It's becoming more important in our in our world of technology. And, and particularly if it's a job that you like and it pays well, I, I'd say stick with it and, and take opportunities for people that you're working with. Uh, and when you have contact with, with clinical people, mm-hmm. get them to let you shadow, get them to let you do, um, you know, uh, other types of uh, uh, clinical activities with them, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, use the the other pockets of time that you have to to build that resume, to build the application in in, in a, additional ways. But I would say I don't see really a reason for you to quit your mm-hmm. quit your job to do that. I mean, especially when you have a job that's in a field like that. Yep. Okay. Awesome. All right. 
Okay. How does being a reapplicant change the way admissions committees look at your application? Well, we get this question occasionally, um, and what what I would say on this on this question uh, is that. Um, the main difference is they're going to want to know what you've done and, and part of the application and often part of secondary applications are what have you, if you're a reapplicant, what have you done to improve your application since last year? And that's, that's how they're going to kind of make a, a judgment uh, on uh, have, have you, is there clear reflection that's gone on? Do you understand why you were unsuccessful the last cycle, uh, et cetera? And have you uh, worked to address those, those weaknesses? But outside of that, there's really no difference in terms of how admissions committees will look at your application uh, and moving forward. They're still going to want to know all the same things they want to know from a first-time applicant. And I will hasten to add that it has always been my sense that applicant that reapplicants are not dis, not fundamentally disadvantaged in the uh, application process. Just because you're a reapplicant doesn't mean that. They're somehow going to put you off in a different category or they're going to shove you to the back of the line or whatever. Uh, the main difference is they're going to want to know what have you done? Has there been some reflection and you uh, moving forward? So, Yep, absolutely. Okay, the uh, question here, do you have to take Calculus 1 as a pre-med major for biology or is pre-calc good? So uh, as, you know, I, I advise students um, in biology majors in my previous position, and it really depends on your university's requirements. Um, so I would definitely check in with your academic advisor and see if that's something that's, or, or you know, your faculty advisor in your major to, uh, and check in with them and see if, that, if that's a requirement for your major. Now, if you're asking for medical schools, that's sort of a broader question. Um, Pre-calculus or calculus, either one is fine. Um, most schools want to see that you've taken sort of a more, you know, advanced math beyond just, you know, college algebra or algebra level. They do want to see a pre-calculus or a calculus. But if you're asking, is this required for your major? Um, then again, just double check with your mm -hmm. uh, fac faculty advisor or your academic advisor. Yeah. And I would say if, if your, if your major at your institution does not require calculus, then I don't recommend taking it. I think mm -hmm. statistics is a much better, mm -hmm. much more uh, applicable and uh, relevant uh, upper, you know, uh, uh, mathematics type course to take. A lot of schools want to see statistics, calculus. In the old days, calculus was important because doctors had to do calculus in order to figure out uh, a lot of the medication dosages and stuff like that anymore that's not even necessary i mean they they the 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 their phone can tell them exactly what they need to know so they're not doing a whole lot of calculus to figure out these things in the current society as as they would have in the past. And so mm -hmm. I think statistics is the line and you need to, uh, I would encourage uh, statistics. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, how, is it difficult to be a doctor as an international student in the United States? How should I prepare for medical school? 
Um, I had to sort of paraphrase here. Uh, this is a great question. Um, I have not advised as many international students. Perhaps, Dr. Wright, you can weigh in on this as well. Yeah, I, I definitely. This is a, 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 a area that's going to be difficult. Uh, mm. Not all medical not all medical schools in the United States take international students. Uh, it, it is often difficult for international students, particularly if you're non-native English speaker, uh, to uh, uh, you know to do well on the M. Of that, uh, classes sometimes uh, you can do well in classes because of, of a variety of, of, of other things that, that work in your favor. So the MCAT and the extensive necessary reading, uh, it can be it can be quite a challenge on native English speakers. You're and, and I don't know if you were just typing this quickly or whatever, but the language that you used in the question that you asked suggests to me that uh, you that you are an uh, English speaker. And so I think that what I would do is really uh, check, you know, very carefully uh, on, uh, on, 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 you know, getting your English skills, uh, not just reading, but speaking uh, into a, a, an area that's going to help you. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Oh, our friend, Rachel. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. I was wondering if any Texas schools have reciprocity for Louisiana residents. Not my, not that I, not that I know of. I, I there is, there are uh, Texas Tech University in West Texas. The med school there has a reciprocity with a few uh, counties in um, in New Mexico, but I do not know of any reciprocity agreements with uh, Louisiana for Texas medical schools. So unfortunately, Rachel, uh, I, I don't, I think you're kind of out of luck on that one. Yeah. Sorry. Hmm. I have another question here. I took Borgo one in spring 21, but I withdrew for a W because of multiple projects at work. I retook it in summer 21 and withdrew after three days for another W because of work. Is it bad? Uh, the student seems to be taking it again now. So two back-to-back -back Ws. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for a class like Orgo, which, mm. uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, this is a, you know, could be mm -hmm. an issue. Uh, I definitely think this could be an issue. Yep. Yeah. I mean, now, it, now, 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 what I would say, D, is or whatever your name is, D, we'll call you D. <laughs> um, uh, what I would say is that um, there's nothing you can do about those W's now. They they are what they are. So moving forward, no more W's. Mm -hmm. In not in just Orgo, but nothing. Uh, you know, you you stick with it. You make whatever sacrifices have to be made, and if you need to back off of work, if you need to try to, you know, get a different job or, or whatever, um, you know, this process has to become really um, 
take the forefront at some level or another, uh, a, become a priority uh, that will that will allow you to move forward and, and, and not have to do these W's and stuff. Because medical schools will be concerned about multiple W's, mm-hmm. particularly in this case in the same class, and uh, because you do not withdraw from school. In, in medical school from particular courses like this, you, you stick it out and, and, and go forward. So they want to see that you can do the work. Right, right. And maybe you need to evaluate uh, in general, um, you know, how much time you're spending on other projects. And, and if it's just not feasible for you, then maybe, you know, lightening the load either work at work or uh, with your studies. Uh, you're in the course now. So, you know, this is sort of your last chance to, to turn things around. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. I Sometimes agree. it's that wall of awful. If you yeah. can't go over it, you just mm-hmm. have to go through it. Mm. You yep. know? Yep. <laughs> Head down and butt it with your right forehead. through. <laughs> Full steam ahead. All right. Siobhan would like to know, do schools accept prereqs that were taken at a graduate level, such as statistics? I've tried to find this information, but I could not find this info anywhere. Uh, typically, the answer to that is no, uh, that they have to be undergraduate courses. Uh, so uh, I know at, at the medical schools in Texas, uh, they will not accept graduate level work. I suspect that the same is, is true for MCAS and, and ACOMA schools. So I, I think uh, graduate level. Now, they could make, you know, medical schools are are. Uh, able to make exceptions on on uh, on things w- whenever they want to uh, uh, it's their prerogative to do that so you you may be able to get a medical school to accept what you've done at the graduate level in statistics and, and be fine but you can't necessarily count on that uh, to be true uh, so just you know be aware uh, and, and uh, you know if you can pick up you know statistics is a good example of a class that you can pick up online from mm. multiple institutions around the country so you know safe bet would be just pick up an online statistics class could even be at a community college uh and uh and, and just get it done uh but you know it, the some medical schools may may work with you on that yeah and just to shine a light because i'm sure a lot of people are thinking but you know graduate is harder than undergrad uh, so why wouldn't it qualify? Well, sometimes graduate is not harder than undergrad, for one thing. Um, and the other is grad programs aren't as standardized. So if you think about it from the med school's perspective, they've got thousands and thousands of applicants, and they need a relatively um, reliable rubric of did these students learn these things and pass the you know necessary academic rigor. Mm-hmm. So even though it seems a little... Um, persnickety, right? Like they, mm-hmm. part of why they have preference to undergrad is for that reliability of curriculum. They know what the syllabi are in those courses. They know what you're being asked to do. Look at it this way. You've taken a graduate stats course. You should be able to handle the, the stats course on an undergraduate level <laughs> okay. uh, and hopefully pull an A. Yep. Ooh, tough situation for Josh. Uh, let's see. My first three semesters are all W's due to a retroactive medical withdrawal. Since then, I have managed to hold a 4.0 for three years, scored a 515 on the MCAT, have 1,000 clinical hours. How should I explain this? Okay. 
Wow. Well, you know, I think you have to explain it the way you just you did in, in, in a small way here. And you just be honest with, um, you know, I had a medical, you know, if you're, if you're willing to sort of talk more about the medical situation that you had, I've had students who went into detail, some level of detail about their medical, you know, situation and kind of what they learned from that and that that in part is what has led them to want to go into medical school, et cetera. So, you know, I think that, um, I definitely suggest that you, um, you know, uh, that you really, uh, think, really carefully about how you're going to move forward on this. Um, and, uh, and, you know, but you've got great numbers. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of great uh, uh, extracurricular activities and all that. So I would say, you know, uh, you got you to gotta explain it and be, and be up front with it. Yeah, they were able to hold a 4.0 for three years. So you're yeah. showing consistency. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. And you know what I would say, Josh, is if you want to uh, communicate with us um, offline, might be able to give you a little bit more advice if you want to be more uh, in a one-on-one setting uh, to be uh, uh, to be more upfront with kind of what the situation was. And I might be able to give you a little bit you know, more direct advice on that. And then also, uh, for all those that are listening, uh, you can always participate in the in the uh, uh, mapped uh, uh, advising services uh, on our new website. You can identify what those advising services are and, uh, and, and evaluate if there's one of those advising services packages that might fit with your needs. And we do a lot of personal statement review and a lot of uh, uh, application review kinds of things like that. And so, you know, look at, look at that and see if that might be something that you would want to uh, take advantage of. Uh, in fact, here's the new website. You want to... Uh, um, it's so pretty. It is pretty. <laughs> it's a perfect segue. Mm-hmm. Happy pre-meds. And now if you go to advising and you go to application cycle prep, and I want to thank you guys because I answered so many emails saying, but does the package include this? Mm-hmm. And finally, I was like, clearly what the students are telling me they want is a nice long grid of all the tiny little details of everything the packages include. Mm-hmm. So uh, I built this. I mean, I didn't build it. I, I told people what to build with you in mind and your many questions. So now if you want to see all the things included in the application cycle package, it's there. Mm-hmm. Pre-med, pre-PA, post back, And then we still do offer, like Scott was saying, if you just want to have a single session to check in, at any time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all available online. Um, the other thing I've been talking to a lot of interested advising students recently, just doing some calls with um, prospective students. And the other really big common question we get is like, well, how do I know who my advisor is? You know, what if it's not one of you guys who like I see on Ask the Dean all the time? It's always one of the people you see on Ask the Dean, right? There are four mapped advisors, and they are Dr. Ryan Gray, who's not with us today because he's home with sick kids, um, (laughs) and we three. So former Dean Wright, former Dean Granham, me, I've been advising pre-med students for 20 years. uh, So 
not to turn this into too much of a sales pitch, but I definitely wanted to clarify if you're interested yeah. in advising, you are looking at the faces you're going to see when you yeah. get a coach. Yeah, no bots here. No bots. And, and no handing off to someone else to do the essay, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to spend right. a year getting to know you. We are going to read your essays. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah. So, question here. Why do medical schools see people that did online classes less favorably than people in a classroom? Wow. Well, I think that's changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think For sure. medical schools are reevaluating that right now because of COVID and what, what has had to happen. And so I think a lot of reevaluation is going on about that at, med- at the medical school admissions level. I think in the past, it has been a concern that uh, in online classes, there's not as much sort of give and take and and sort of dynamic quality to it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. changing in terms of online education where there is a lot of give and take. And, and so, um, so, uh, and some of it, honestly, to whoever's asking this question, I think some of it is old school. You know, you got, you got some people that are old school and they, they Mm -hmm. think, well, you know, you can't be any good if it's online or whatever. And so, you know, I think you're going to find, that that's that's changing and so i i i certainly don't think there's any reason to look down upon students that have taken online classes but uh there are some medical schools that still still have issues with that yeah Yeah. unfortunately uh but yeah so above lobbies as you call yourself uh if you check the msar or you just google some schools you're going to see that a lot of schools now do list that online is acceptable for prereqs mm-hmm. um where time was that almost no schools accepted that so that's a real indicator of change um and this is just one example but when i was helping um some of our team we're we're working on a big scrub in our own mapped med school database to update it when i was helping the team do that I noticed that Hopkins not only said online is okay during the pandemic, but they've done it retroactively, which strikes me is really fair and reasonable, right? So they're not just saying it's okay if you took an online course during the pandemic. They're saying now that we realize during the pandemic that online is okay during COVID, we're going to say anyone who took a prerequisite online is now fine. Um, and that's just one school, but um you know, Hopkins to me is always kind of a mix of old guard and innovative. So right, seeing them right, make that yeah. change, I yeah. was like, that's good. Like if they're going yeah. that way, a lot of schools are going to go that way. You yeah, know, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, so it's not there yet, but I do think that this bias that you're speaking to is fading. I agree with that. Okay. We have time for a couple more questions here. But uh, Boyana? would like to know what volunteering type is suggested for pre-med that is all already working in healthcare. Sorry. Go ahead. Could be non uh, medically related volunteering. I mean, there's all kinds of volunteering. Uh, Medical schools want to see you involved in your community. Mm -hmm. So get involved in your community. Doesn't have to be medically related. It can be, working with Habitat for Humanity or your local uh, school district on reading to kids or mm-hmm. working with people who are uh, non-native English speakers who are trying to learn the language. Uh, there's there's homeless shelters. There, I mean, there's 
a gazillion types of things that you can get involved in, yeah. particularly in urban areas, but also in, in, in small towns too. So yeah. I would say get involved. Uh, if you're already working in healthcare, get involved in, in volunteerism in a variety of ways in your community and uh, show that you have a community mm-hmm. mindset. That's yeah. what they're looking for. Exactly. I don't think the type is, is so much the issue that, you know, as long as you're, you're showing that you are trying to help others and that you have a commitment to improving your community. Yep. Yeah, that's all they're looking yeah. for. Yeah, I think, Verenia, you and I, we were doing some research earlier this summer mm-hmm. um, to try to help better define some of the activities on applications. Mm-hmm. And the distinction that I remember us finding for volunteering, because a lot of people think, Volunteering means volunteering clinical, but there are some med schools that very explicitly say, I want to see clinical experience and now parentheses paid or unpaid. And also I want to see volunteering. And the term that they tend to use to make that distinction is I want to see community service. Mm -hmm. So if you are volunteering to go plant flowers by the roadside, yeah, that's nice, but you're not really helping people in a direct way. I mean, Mm -hmm. Trees and flowers do make people happier. But, like, are you finding some underserved, underestimated people in your community and helping mm-hmm. them in a more direct way? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's usually what they mean when they say community service, which is why I tend to want to use that word rather than volunteering. Because you can volunteer to do anything, um, but are you helping your community? Yeah. 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 Well said. Okay. Um, 155. Okay, Charles would like to know, is it okay to leave a volunteer experience if I feel the organization has lost sight of its mission? I have a lot of hours, but I don't want to leave if if quitting abruptly would look bad. Well, how would they know? I I guess my question is, how would a medical school know Mm. that that you quit abruptly? So if you... You said you have a lot of hours, so my, my, my assumption is you've been with this organization for a while, that you've accumulated quite a few hours, and then if you leave abruptly, I, I, I guess I just don't understand the, what, what that means, um, because the, 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 the medical schools rarely, and I use that word strongly, I rarely, if ever, call your organizations that you've worked for and say, well, did he leave on good, you know, on good terms or did he, you know, whatever. And, uh, but I would say, you know, be, be nice about it, you know, offer your, you know, your perspective to them. And then if you feel like this is not a, um, not a volunteer experience that you want to continue on, uh, just uh, move on to something else. I don't think that's going to look odd at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I guess uh, to kind of build on that, yeah, I wouldn't stop volunteering and just not do any more, right? Right, you right. About right. what that repeat activity is. And then, yeah, to, to Scott's point, if you're just talking about applications, yeah, this med schools tend not to check in um, about that level of detail. That said, I have found, as someone who's been out of college for 20 22 years now I found that the older I get the smaller the world is yeah Um, uh, when I was 20 or 22 the idea of getting you know my professor for a letter of rec was terrifying networking seemed like this weird vague 
maybe slimy thing that people did. And now that I'm in my 40s, I've realized that networking is just getting older and not being a jerk. So anywhere I go, anything I do, I try very hard not to burn a bridge behind me unless I really decided that anyone and everyone with that experience is going to be out of my life forever. So if you don't respect the organization anymore and you want to leave, that might be a really good thing. But I would still leave with respect and care. Mm -hmm. And I would also consider, Charles, and this is up to you. You don't have to do it. But ask yourself, can I say something to someone? Like, are there other people who feel this way? Like, and, and maybe you've already tried. Maybe it's the leaders who are the problem. So you don't really have anyone to say anything to. Um, so I'm not, I'm not trying to judge here, but walking away is fine. Just thinking yeah. about, thinking about walking, walking away with integrity, right? Yes. It's always okay yes. to leave something. Yes. Are you leaving with integrity? Yes. Good yes. point. Good point. Yep. Now, Rachel, I'm confused about something. So what you're telling us is that you started college when you were nine years old. <laughs> yeah, she was super, super smart. She was Did a prodigy. She was a prodigy. Prodigy. Twenty-two years. I graduated in ninety-nine. So yeah. you started when you. So if you started when you were nine years old, twenty-two years, that would be you know you'd be what thirty-one or so. so. <laughs> Thanks for saying I look young, Scott. Of course. Those apple cheeks, they fool people. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, I think we've wrapped up our week. Uh, Ask the Dean, 1 p.m. every Wednesday. Come back next week if you want. Absolutely. We talked a little bit about mapped advising. We didn't talk a lot about mapped app, but I still Mm. always like to show this code. So if you're interested in trying the mapped application, use code 30 days free, three zero days free. Go to app.mapped.com or just map.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. And you can track your AMCAS GPA, your ACOMAS GPA, your Texas GPA. Um, a lot of the questions that you guys ask on this, we answer in app and we push it out as feedback to you based on the information you're giving. So you're getting... It's not one-on-one advising, but you're getting mapped advisor feedback yeah. coded and baked into the system as you are progressing through the pre-med process. Yep. Absolutely. And you get to use it for 30 days free. Yeah. Check it out. Woohoo. All right. Thank you, you for letting me free. letting me drive today. Yeah. <laughs> you did a great that job. Fun. Yeah. Thank you. Great Thank job. you all for watching and listening. El Capitan. Yeah. <laughs> See you all next bye. week. All right. Bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.